Unity in the body. This is a a title of the sermon. Unity in the body. The human body is amazing. All right? Any of us who are in a scientific background, any of us who have been in an athletic background, any of us who just are aware of our own bodies understand this. And here's some uh, amazing facts that I just want to read out to help us appreciate how amazing the body is. Let's talk about the skeletal system. The adult human body is composed of 206 bones. As an infant, there are much more, but when we become adults, we have 206 bones. Your bones are strong as granite, right? Meaning you can put weight upon weight upon these things until they're twisted. So anyone with sports background understands this is how you hurt yourself. You don't want to twist your bones. How about your our skin? The skin is the largest uh, organ in our body. Every square inch of your skin, every square inch, inch by inch, contains about 20 feet of blood vessels, four yards of nerve fibers, 1,300 nerve cells, 100 sweat glands, and 3 million cells. Every square inch. Isn't that amazing? Our circulatory system, the heart will beat an average of 3 billion times during an average person's lifespan. 3 billion times. In one hour, your heart produces enough energy to raise a ton of steel 3 feet off the ground every hour. How about this? There's approximately 100,000, hear that now, number now, 100,000 miles of blood vessels in our body. This is enough to travel around the world more than three times. 100,000 miles of blood vessels. Every second, our body is able to repair itself. It produces 25 million new cells. 25 million new cells every second. 25 million just reproduced right there. The human liver is able to uh, reproduce itself. And in, in the, it's written and said that if, if a person loses two-thirds of their liver through trauma or su- through surgery, it could grow back to its original size in as soon as four weeks. Can you imagine that? Amazing. So many things. Our human bodies are amazing. Nerves, as I touch this pulpit... The, the nerves travel at a rate of 124 miles per hour back to our brain. I mean, th- these are just certain examples here. Countless examples of how amazing the human body is. And the body is composed of so many complex systems, so many complex parts, and it has to work together. has to be unified, right? has to be unified in order for the body to function health, in a health, healthy way. Now, as amazing as the human body is, the body of Christ is much more amazing and much more complex. It's amazing, much more amazing because we're part of a spiritual body, a spiritual body that's going to live on forever. Why is it more complex? Well, every single cell in our body in normal, under normal situations knows how to operate. It just does what the Lord has programmed it to do unless there's some kind of issue that occurs. Within the body of Christ, every member, that's every single Christian, every single brother and sister owns a will. That's why it's much more complex. 
And so for the body of Christ to function at an optimal level, not just to survive, but to function at an optimal level, at an elite level, every single member of the body must be able to be united and do our part. Amen? So unity is the issue. This is what we're going to be talking about today. Unity in the body of Christ. So we're going to get to the, the points right now. And I'm going to, like I often like to do, I like to give you the points ahead of time. And the question that we're going to ask is this. How is the unity, how is unity in the body of Christ possible? All right, the th- four points are, we're going to cover today is this. Christ has many members, but the same body. Body, all right? Christ has many members, but the same interdependence. We need one another. Christ has many members, but the same care. We need to care for one another. And finally, Christ has many members, but the same connection. We need to be connected with one another in relationship. All right, let's get to the first point. How is unity in the body of Christ possible? Point number one, Christ has many members, but the same body. Verse 12 says this in Corinthians chapter 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Paul is giving us a metaphor of the church there's many, countless members of the body. And what is, he, what is Paul talking about when he says one body? Yes, he's talking about the, the, the universal church, meaning every single Christian ever, who had ever walked the earth. Every single brother and sister from time past to the present, even to the future, no matter what continent you live on, no matter what era you live in, the church is built up of the, every single Christian. Now, but Paul is specifically writing to the Corinthian church. So I think there's a local church context here as well, where Paul, he's writing to Corinthians. In essence, we could be drawing out things about what is Paul trying to tell us here at Evergreen SUV. Okay, so when we think of one body, yes, there's a big universal body, but our specific context here at local at the local church here at Evergreen, let's think about how this applies. And the body has many members, many limbs, many internal, external organs, a network of nerves. We understand how this works on a physical sense. And there are a diverse group of Christians who make up the body of Christ, not any of us are the same. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Every single one of us are like spiritual fingerprints, right? In terms of our giftings, we're different. We're all made different. None of us are quite the same. We may be similar in some ways, but not quite the same. And I love how in verse 12 at the end it says, so also is Christ. Paul's saying basically Christ is synonymous with his body. You cannot separate the head from the body. When you think of Christ, you think about his body too. That's how intimately connected we are to Christ. You cannot say, I love Christ, but I don't love the church. Right? It's like telling your friend, I love you, but I don't love your wife. That doesn't work, right? That just doesn't work. When you say, I love Christ, you basically say, I love the one another. I love the body of Christ as well. And this is how Christ sees himself. That's connected to the body. A headless body is not a body anymore. It's not alive anymore. We, the head, is connected to the body. Now, Paul, in verse 13, talks about some of the divisions that could have been happening uh, in the church in Corinth. Verse 13 says, For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. 
And look what he points out. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. In Corinth, they had an issue. They were very diverse, diverse backgrounds, just like Los Angeles. Think about Southern California, how diverse we are. Corinth was a major trade port, a major metropolis at the time. You had people coming in and out, trading, sailors coming in and out. People were traveling through the isthmus to get to the southern part of Greece. Corinth was a major metropolis at the time, very diverse. L.A. is very similar, multicultural. This weird, massive trade port from, the, from, from, the, from Asia. We have all kinds of people. And in, the, in Corinth, they had Jews and Gentiles that had multicultural issues. Even socioeconomic issues. There were slaves literally sitting in the church next to their slave owners. Can you imagine the, the, the dynamics that were taking place? There are, the, the opportunities to be divided were absolutely pregnant. It was all over the place. Right, but so Paul is addressing some of these things specifically, and I believe, like I think I mentioned this before in the past, this is perhaps one of the most polarizing times in the life of this world. I mean, there are so many things connected to our identity. You know, identity politics. Everyone wants to be defined by certain groups, and this is what is being pumped out into the world today. I mean, our our the issue of race. In America, there's the whites and there's the minorities and different type of minorities. This is a big issue. You can't get around this. Politics, are we either Republican or Democrat? This is a big issue. Morally, are we on the conservative end? Are we on the liberal end? This is, these are big, divisive issues. Gender identity, sexual orientation, these are all big identity issues in our world. Socioeconomic class. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poor. I mean, the divide is getting even bigger. Even masks or no masks, right? It's something as simple as that, right? That's an issue. That's an issue. And it's important to acknowledge these things in the culture so that we are very aware. Do we allow these things to seep into the church? That's very important for us to recognize that. Do we allow these things to creep into the church and create division? That's what we need to all to be guarded against. And, and, and I want to just point this out. What is the main issue here? What is the main issue? How are we united in the body? I want to just, how are we actually able to be united? I mentioned every reason why to be divided. Why can we be uh, united? Verse 13 says this, for by one spirit, we were baptized into one body. That means that every single Christian has been baptized into the body of Christ. What does that mean? This, what this, what this is saying is this, every single Christian, Jesus Christ, himself, the head, has baptized you into his own body through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ in John 1, 33 is the one who baptizes us with the Spirit. All right, the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, is the means in how every single brother and sister is brought, baptized or brought in to the body of Christ. What does it mean to be baptized? Baptizo is the, uh, is the word in the original language. That means to be immersed, completely identified with something or someone. 
So the Bible says that Jesus Christ has immersed us with the Holy Spirit, which identifies us completely with Jesus Christ. That means that's our identity. We may bring in diverse background, diverse, uh, diverse uh, uh, training and experience, diverse gifts, diverse uh, passions. Those things may describe who we are, but in essence, being baptized into the body of Christ defines who we are. This is why we could be united, absolutely united. Different and diverse in many ways, but united. All those other things may describe who you are. But being baptized into the body of Christ is, what, is the flag that we all wave. Amen? He is the one that we wave whether we go to the Lord's Day service, whether we're in our gym at Planet Fitness, whether we're at the, at the mom's group, whether we're at work, whether we're walking around our neighborhood and getting some exercise, whether we're playing on our sports team. Jesus Christ is the one that we wave. He's the flag. He's the banner that we wave. And when we get baptized into Christ, this is a one-time event. This happens at conversion. So every single one of us who's a Christian right here sitting in the sanctuary or outdoors, that's that one-time event. Boom! You've been baptized into Christ, and you're never the same again. This is that special, it's called rebirth. People, theologians call it rebirth or regeneration. This is how, as, uh, as Jesus talked to Nicodemus, how can a man be reborn again? How can he go back into his mother's womb? We're not talking about physical rebirth, Nicodemus. Jesus said we're talking about spiritual rebirth. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, we're reborn again. So I think we need to embrace our diversity we need to embrace our background. We need to embrace our, our passions. And we're not called to be the same. Not uniformity, but unity. We're called to be united as the body of Christ. And being baptized into the Spirit, by the Spirit into the body of Christ, is why we're united. All right, let's go to point number two. How is unity in the body of Christ possible? Number two, Christ has many members, but the same interdependence, excuse me, interdependence. Corinthian issue, they had an issue of self-sufficiency. What does that mean? That means I got it. That means I don't need anybody else. That means me and the few of the elite, those who have the, 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 uh, the desired gifts, we got this. The rest of you guys, show up if you want, but we really don't need you. This is the attitude that, 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 that they projected. Some of these people, some of the elite, when I, I quote that, elite were thinking this and projecting this attitude that we don't need you attitude to the other brotherhood, the other brothers and sisters. And self-sufficiency is the enemy to unity. Have you been around people like that before? Where they think that they don't need anybody. Have you been around people before who they just walk around thinking like they're the reasons why the team or the group exists? Of course we have. That's absolutely divisive. So self-sufficiency kills unity. It's the enemy to unity. So in Corinth was particularly susceptible to this because they were similar to Asian culture, an honor and shame culture meaning they love to bestow honor on certain people, which is not wrong necessarily, but what happened is this. When you honor and honor, 
what happened was it began to alienate and shame other groups of people. We need to be aware of this and how we present our, how we honor one another. And there are diverse roles in the church. And in order, just like the human body, to function well with health at the optimal level. I'm not just talking about just to survive with a, barely having a heartbeat, barely having a brainwave, but at an optimal level to run and jump as fast as we can. We need to embrace our roles that we've been given. Do you embrace the role that you've been given? Right? They didn't. And then what happened was division took place and discontentment set in. And this is an interesting narrative that Paul gives us in verse 17. Paul addresses the issue of self-sufficiency by addressing discontentment first. Right? Just, and he calls him out. Paul's a pretty direct man now. He will call out brothers and sisters but he understands he doesn't want to shame them. So what he does is he creates an imaginary scenario. He creates an imaginary a, a narrative to kind of get the point across. And you'll know what I'm talking about in a second. This is in, in verse 15 and 16. Let me, let's read this together. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. So what is Paul talking about right there? This is a, this is a fictitious scenario, but the narrative goes like this. The foot is sitting there thinking, hmm, comparing himself to the hand and say, since I'm not a foot, I'm, since I'm a foot, I'm not a hand, I'm not the one that gets to shake each other's hands. I'm not the one getting to wear rings. I'm not the one that's always shown and, and, and up there as a, as a preacher preaches. The foot started feeling sorry for itself. The foot was saying, I get dirty all the time. I wear, they put sandals on me. The roads are dusty. I'm not as nimble as the hand. I can't write and draw like the hand can they always got to cover me up, right? I don't get to shake feet with other people. This is kind of like the narrative, right? And the, eye, the ears have the same type of pity party as he's comparing himself to the eye. The eye is so central to the head. The eye, everyone looks each other in the eye. No one looks at the ears. They just poke fun at my ears, right? The eye, the, you can see things. I'd rather be able to see instead of hear so Paul comes up with this incredible narrative to call out some of the people because people with some of the less notable gifts were starting to feel sorry for themselves. And they were kind of starting to withdraw. They're like, I'm not going to participate. I'm tired of getting shamed. That, that, that's, the church life is for those of the elite. This is not for people like you and me. And so Paul's calling them out and says, stop comparing yourself to one another. Basically saying, I'm not needed. Have you been there before? Have you been there before? Where you kind of think of yourself, woe is me, what do I have to offer? I can't do what she does. I don't have anything to offer. Do you think that? 
So therefore, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to participate from serving. I'm going to withdraw from fellowship. Have you felt that way before? Have you felt that way before? Well, that leads to a dysfunctional body. The body is crippled because the body is not able to access the resources that you bring, the gifts that you bring. This is, this is the enemy speaking to us if you feel that way. The Lord clearly says that everybody has a role. And part of the issue is, is perhaps being a high-performance culture. I think we're used to producing good things here at our church at Evergreen, which is a great thing. Praise God. Praise God. But we've been talking about as a leadership, teammates over production. It's about the people. It's about discipleship. It's not necessarily just to get a job done. Of course we need to get things done, and that's very important to us. But it's about people. And right here, Paul brings them back here in verse 17 to 21. Basically, he says, we need one another. We need one another. Verse 17 says this, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? You get the idea? We need to see and hear. If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? We like to smell too. Right? And then verse 18, but now God has placed the members God is the one who's done this. Each of them in the body just as he desired. So he's talking to these people who are struggling with discontentment. Really, your discontentment is not about yourself or others. You're really not trusting in God. Paul's saying you have been placed perfectly the way exactly the master builder wants to have you. Right? So in essence, you're questioning God and his goodness and his judgment in this whole thing. So in essence, we're not serving just one another. We're serving God. And look what he says in verse 19. (laughs) It's kind of funny. If they were all one member, where would the body be? So imagine that. This is a grotesque monster that Paul is describing. What if the whole body were just one big eyeball, right? (laughs) That's ridiculous, right? What What if the body is one big nose and one big ear? That's crazy, right? That's gross. That doesn't work very well. You know, it's like, have you seen a body part just laying by itself on the table? You'd be like, ooh, what is this? Doesn't work. Paul's making a hyperbolic statement. Of course we don't just want one body part. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of like singing, right? I was talking to some friends. It's kind of like singing. Whenever I sing alone, it doesn't sound very good. But when we get together, congregational singing, we all sing, it sounds pretty good. This is kind of how this works. Singing is a picture of the body in action. Individually, some of us may excel. Like I'm not one of them. But corporately, congregationally, it sounds pretty good. Every time we sing, it's, it's a picture of the body of Christ. Isn't that neat how the Lord has set that up every week for us to do this? And in verse 21, basically, he, Paul drives home the point that we need each other. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Of course not. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So Paul's kind of addressing the elites now. It's kind of a top-down, right, approach. Where the eye is above the hand, meaning when we're standing, the eye is above the hand. The elite cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Right? Nor can the head say to the feet, top-down approach, that he's talking to the elite now. You can't say that to one another. You need one another. 
And anyone that's been hurt or hurt their big toe or their pinky toe, some of us may struggle with gout. If you got gout in that, that pinky toe, it just kills you, does it not? You can't do much. If one part is, is shut down, you feel it. So be, knowing that we're inter, interdependent with one another, that leads to unity. I need you, brother. I need you, sister. We need one another. That unifies us. Understanding that. So self-sufficiency divides us, but knowing that we need each other unites us. Let's go to our third point. How is unity in the body of Christ possible? Christ has many members, but the same care. Remember what we talked about. Corinth was an honor-shame culture. And Paul was trying to teach them to honor one another. Verse 22, it says, On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem, notice he says seem, it's not fact, but seem, perception, to be weaker are necessary. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the internal organs here. The guts of who we are, right? The, the, the internal organs, the heart, our lungs, our kidneys, our livers, our stomachs. I mean, the intestines, these things are underneath skin, muscle, bones. The vital organs are, are, are behind our rib cage to, for protection. So in some ways, they are weaker. They are more delicate. They are more tender because they can't be exposed to the air. We understand this. But the Bible says that they're even more necessary. If your heart were to stop, all the other parts will stop working soon after that. How critical is the heart, right? But by itself, we deem it less honorable because by the world, how how the world sees us, if I can't see it working, if it isn't so public, it's not that important. It's less celebrated. We, We take it for granted. Just like Pastor Mako talked about, mothers. I mean, this is Mother's Day. We want to honor and, and, and celebrate our mothers. That one role, sisters, the one role that you have if you're a mother is the strongest, greatest, most impactful role that you would have. This role as a mother, we understand it, is thankless oftentimes. The people that you're serving don't say thank you all the time. Much of what you do goes unnoticed. And you know you got to get the job done. So you do whatever it takes to take care of your children. Motherhood. That's a perfect example of the most vital parts that need to function. Otherwise, things will fall apart. I had a privilege and blessing to visit one of our spiritual mothers this week. And we were able to take communion. It was wonderful. Itsuko Teragawa, Itsuko. Sister Itsuko was married to Henry. And amongst the pastors, uh, there's a story that goes by, that is talked about. And in the 90s, when, when, when we were worshiping together in Rosemead, after service, I'm told by some of the pastors and longtime members, you would see Henry and Itsuko, this is about 30 years ago now, since Itsuko is over 100 years old, they were already 70 years old at that time. They weren't young back then either. Okay? They were already past their 70s. And what would, as people are fellowshipping and congregating, you see Henry and Itsuko, this is told to me, I wasn't there. I think it's important to hear our history, that they would be busy stacking chairs. And as pastors would say, hey, start helping, you know what they would say? Pastor, that's our job. 
Let us do our job. Let us serve you. Let us, you keep preaching. You keep shepherding the flock. This is our job. They found a dignity and nobility in serving in this way. That's not going to be recorded anywhere. There's no archives of that. But they served. They embraced the dignity and the nobility of it all. And you know what does that, that does for pastors and other people? <laughs> she fired up because you're doing this, sister, brother. I better not let you down. Right? How does that not ignite your heart to do your part when you see something like that? If you got a heartbeat, that raises the hair on the back of your neck to stand up because you go, wow, you're doing this at 70-something years old? Let me do that. No, 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 no. This is my job. I want to do my job. And Sister Itsuko would share with me a couple months ago this quote. She remembers going to Chicago during the war after being interned, and he, she and Henry went off to Chicago. This is in the 40s, so they're in their 20s at the time. 1940s or in their 20s. And they were part of a church, and, and, and she remembers the pastor, Dr. Mayberry, saying this. The pastor, she's sharing this to me, one-on-one, the pastor does not rise above the prayers of the people. The pastor does not rise above the prayers of the people. And she was telling me, Pastor Rocky, I'm praying for you. And when she said that to me, I just took her hand and looked in her eyes and said, thank you. Because what happens is through the preaching is very public. It's very public. People who see your work, the efforts that you do in private, it's very public. But what never oftentimes is recognized is the efforts through prayer. That's not going to be recorded on this life. There's no scroll or book that says this person was praying for the church, for the church leadership. And I revisited this story with her this past week. Is it okay I share this story? She says, yes, of course. And I said, you know this, sister, don't you? That your treasures are in heaven because no one quite knows exactly how you're praying for the leadership in the church. But God knows. She kind of lit up because she understands this. What you do for the Lord in secret, God alone knows and God alone will reward you. The more public of a ministry that you have, there's greater temptation to touch the glory. There's greater temptations to lose the prize, the rewards that are in heaven. So as I think about our spiritual mother, Sister Itsuko, we love her, we, she's doing well. She reminded me that prayer life is the bloodline that feeds the body of Christ at Evergreen SGV and at every church. The prayer is the blood that courses through our veins to feed our parts. Everybody has a role in this. And we're called to care. We're called to care for these members of the body that serve in this way.
Let's look at verse 23 here. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, see that deem, this is very cultural, this is not fact, deem, perception, less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. You know what that means? To bestow abundant honor carries the picture of dressing, adorning, with clothing. Paul is using this metaphor as the body. We clothe these parts of the body. We put jewelry on these parts of the body. We put shoes on the feet. Right? This is what Paul is talking about. He's still going with the body imagery here. And what's the effect that happens when you bestow honor to these body parts? Our less presentable members become much more presentable. Right? That's important that we understand this, how powerful it is to do this, to show honor to those who do things in private, who may do things that are less noticeable. Some Verse 24, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Some parts, some roles that we have, just have are just more visible. Natural honor just follows it, right? I mean, that's just part of the deal. But those who are not as noticeable need this care. I mean, we have guests, and if you are wearing a lay, somebody made that. Last week, we were able to have communion together. Somebody prepared the communion elements to be up here with the tables here, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that we need to understand that somebody is working behind the scenes. Let's, let me look at verse 24 here. God, but God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Why? So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has designed it this way for some, some roles to be more higher profile than others. Why? Because we're able to care for each other. And that's what unifies the church. Because in the world, there's favoritism everywhere, right? In the world, there's honor given to certain people, certain roles. We understand this. It's very worldly. So all of a sudden, the church is acting differently. This divide unifies the church when it should have been divided. This is critical that we understand this. And really, it's the responsibility of those in power. John MacArthur writes, those in positions of leadership... And prominence not only should should not look down on those whose gifts are less noticeable, but should take special care to show them appreciation and to protect them when necessary. It's the role of the leaders and those who have more prominent or more public roles to look to honor those. So if you're a leader of a ministry, make sure you're mindful of that. Give Give thanks and honor to those who do it. Do not take the credit. If you want to be a good leader, you never take the credit. You always thank people for, hey man, this is what so-and-so did. All I did was show up and kind of just give out, roll out the game plan, right? Any good coach, any good leader knows this. It's so-and-so who did this. It's the assistant coach that did this. It's the, it's the lineman that blocked for me all day and I have all day. It's like, it like cooking steaks for me. I, I could throw the ball anytime I want. In the church, no different. Somehow we have sound. Somehow I'm able to, I don't have to scream. There's a sound system. Somehow we're able to have these uh, PowerPoint presentations. 
People are working behind the scenes. And that basically when we show this care, there's no division. It brings us together. So when we show the same care, there's unity. There's unity amongst one another. Now finally, let's finish up with a final point. How is unity in the body of Christ possible? Well, we have the same body. We understand we're part of the same body. We also understand that we are interdependent upon one another. We need one another. Thirdly, we have the same care. And fourthly, Christ has many members, but the same connection. Connection. This is talking about the body's nervous system. The brain, the brain stem, and then the nerves, the nerve network that goes on throughout our whole bodies. Now, coaching is one of the most horrifying moments of my life as a coach. It wasn't necessarily a play or like, you know, a, a loss or a win. One day we're on the road, and there was a regular routine play. Everyone got off the ground. One player didn't. This player... Muscular, highly trained, chiseled. But he hurt his neck. This is the most horrifying type of injury that we could think of. Neck injuries. Neck injuries. Because you could have the absolute most gifted body chiseled. I'm talking like just ripped. But if the connection isn't there, that body is rendered helpless. And the Bible says in verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The church can have the greatest gifts. The church can have the greatest resources, a huge property. Incredible technology to use. Incredible ministries and programs set up. The right theology even. But if our nervous system is down, we will be crippled. We won't be able to function the way we're called to do. And what is the nervous system in our church? What would you think the nervous system is in our church? What would you think, church family? Relationships. If we're not in relationship with one another, we're not connected. How do we know when things are, parts are suffering? How do we know when parts are rejoicing? We don't know. We don't know. Let me ask a very personal question here. During this COVID lockdown season, over a year, right? It's been a long time. Praise God, we're in yellow now. Things are starting to open up. But during this COVID lockdown season, did people from our church reach out to you? Did you get a phone call? Did you get an email at least? Hey, how are you doing? I know we're not able to gather together in person, but how are you doing? Did people reach out to you? And if the answer is yes, I say praise God to that. You're in relationship with people. But if the answer is no, we grieve with you. That's not how the church is supposed to be. Because if discipleship is going to take root here at Evergreen SGV, we need to be in relationships. Discipleship means this, that we're in intentional relationships with one another 
for becoming more like Christ. So if you're not in a relationship where people know you and you know them, there's not going to be much discipleship taking place. And I would say this, that it would, it's a mutual effort, right? It's not just all one way or, you know, one person reaching out 100%. I mean, there's a mutual relationship there. So if that connection is not there, brothers and sisters, part of our church is paralyzed, and we cannot have it that way. This is why we're making a huge push to grow in fellowship, grow in relationship with one another. Because if there's no genuine relationships with one another, it's not going to go. Discipleship is not going to go. And so being in relationship with one another leads to unity, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. None of us are going to be perfect. We're able to overlook some things. You know what? I forgive you. Let's just, let's just keep working on our relationship as we pursue the Lord. That's why we're, the leadership, I'm praying that everybody has two or three friends that know you. Can you say that two or three people know you and you know them and you're able to care for them? You could, when they suffer, you suffer with that part. When they rejoice, you're able to rejoice as well with them. This is critical that we understand this. And so as an application, I think it's important that we get connected here at Evergreen SUV. The Lord's Day is one way to get connected. That's great that you're here. That's great that you show up, but did you take full advantage of the Fellowship Sunday last week where we had the lunch truck, where people hung out till like 2.30? It was incredible. That's an opportunity that we're trying to create so that people could get to know each other on an informal basis, having a hamburger together. How perfect is that? Are you involved in equipping? Are you involved with any of the adult education classes, like Revelation or First John or Praying Life? Are you involved with that? That's a way to get connected with one another. Are you serving? What an incredible way to be known to know others, to serve, be on mission together here at Evergreen SGV, simply serving as a greeter. That's great, among other things. And are you part of a life group, such as a branch, a local branch, if you're a youth, are you part of the, the, the youth group? Surge, bridge, college fellowship, young adults. Are, are we part of that? That's a great way to grow in relationship with one another. I think it works both ways. It's not just all one way. It's not all program. It, it takes a mutual effort. And when you get their leaders, let's make sure teammates over a program. We're trying to connect people and be good matchmakers and, and help people become friends with one another. That's the responsibility of the leadership in part. These are just simple ways that we've kind of orchestrated for the church family to get connected. If discipleship is going to take off, genuine relationships need to be there. Now, as we conclude here, I just want to finish off with this. As a dedicated follower of Christ... You're serious about discipleship. How could you not want to be involved in all four things? The Lord's Day, equipping, all right, serving opportunities, and in life groups or branches. How, how could you not want to be involved? Like, that's for me. I want to grow as a disciple. I want to help others grow as a disciple. Let's get involved. Contact us. We'll help you get involved. But let me just say this much. I think what's been profound for me is this. Understanding the gospel at a fuller, deeper level has really helped me to understand this. 
that Jesus Christ, God himself. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is God. He's the God man. He's God who created everything and put on human skin and walked on earth. And what did he do? He loved you and me so much that he died for us, willingly died for us on the cross. And he took on the punishment of sin. Because by nature, all of us are sinners. And what sinners have to look forward to is punishment from God someday. Eternal punishment. Hell is a real place. God's wrath is a real thing. But if you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, meaning you believe that he resurrected from the grave and he died for my sins, I trust that you did this for me, Lord, and I'm going to follow you as my Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. But saved into what? Is it like we just get to be saved into our own cubicles in heaven by ourselves with God and I? No! We're part of one big family. We're part of one big flock. We're part of one big kingdom. Today we're using a metaphor. We're part of one big body. So be, the gospel says this. Yes, my sins are forgiven. And yes, that needs to happen at a, at a personal level. But you're saying yes to Christ and his whole body. Basically, we're saved to have a relationship with God. But we're also saved to have a relationship with one another, every single Christian, to ever walk the earth. And someday we're going to fellowship with each other forever and ever and ever in heaven. That's the gospel. And this is why we're called to be unified. Because we have the same head. His name is Jesus Christ. Let me just finish off with uh, what Sister Patricia read. Ephesians 1. Thank you for reading that. Verse 22. And he put all things... God the Father put all things in subjection under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. The church is his body. And guess what? Comma, the fullness of him, fullness of Christ, who fills all in all. We have the fullness of Christ in us because of the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you how you teach us that we are unified in you. Thank you that you baptize every single Christian into your one body. Thank you that not only that we have been baptized with one another, we are connected to one another. Thank you for the joy of relationships in the body of Christ. Father God, I pray for anyone in here who has not trusted in you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. They will say yes to you. And they will know that they're part of you and the body. And they will get connected here at Evergreen SGV. Father God, help us to respond properly to your word. Help us to understand all the gospel implications more and more. That we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of something greater than ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we will faithfully serve our purpose in the body of Christ to build up your body for your glory. And Lord, on a personal level, I pray for every single person here at Evergreen who considers Evergreen SGV their home, young and older, that we will have two or three relationships that we could call friends. 
that we're known by these two and three, and we know these two and three. We are, so we're able to suffer when the other parts suffer, and we're able to rejoice when the other parts rejoice. Father, help us to respond appropriately, Lord. I pray your spirit will help us to become like your son more and more every day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.